The information provided in this show is intended for your general knowledge only and is not intended to be, nor is it, medical advice or a substitute for medical advice. If you have or suspect you have a specific medical condition or disease, please consult your healthcare provider. Now listening to The Health Hero Show with Tim James. <laughs> What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here, founder of ChemicalFreeBody.com and your host for the show that simplifies and demystifies how to live an energetic life with a flat belly. So if you're into a healthy gut and staying young, then this is the show for you. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here with another super duper exciting episode. Today, um, I I can't even tell you how um, honored I feel and excited I am to have on nurse Erin Marie Olszewski. Um, Aaron, thanks for being on today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is really exciting because I'd actually followed you a while back and um, I picked up your story. I think it was on like YouTube or Facebook or something. And just for, for, for you guys listening today, she's a former E5 sergeant in the United States Army. Um, she might not look like it today because she's all chill and cash, but um, you started in the Army when you were like 17, right? Yeah, yeah. I joined right out of high school, so... Um, January, 2001, actually. Why did you join? Um, a lot of different reasons. Uh, I actually wrote about it in, in my book, um, not to give too much information out, but. Okay. No spoiler alert. Yeah. My life wasn't always the easiest, you know? So, um, I've always been kind of independent and I've always loved my country a lot. So I, I wanted to give back. Awesome. Awesome. And you actually got wounded, received a medal. You probably don't want to talk about that. Usually people are like, whatever, no big deal. But it is a big deal. So you serve the country that you love. And um, I just uh, wanted to thank you. I always like to thank all veterans and law enforcement for doing what you do to protect, especially in the current environment we got where you got a bunch of morons running around trying yeah. to bash it. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be bad eggs in any profession, whether it's a nurse, a doctor, a health coach like me, or, you know, um, a plumber, you know you can call 10 plumbers and one of them is going to probably steer you wrong and charge you too much. And, mm-hmm. you know, and probably two or three of them are going to do a great job and they'll never overcharge. You can car sales, all it's any industry. It's like that. Right. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I'm really excited for you to be on today. So her book, um, which is called the undercover epicenter nurse, how fraud, negligence, and greed led to unnecessary deaths at Elmhurst hospital. So why don't we start there? How did you get involved with Elmhurst? How did that all work? And then just kind of let us know what was going on there and what you discovered. Um, yeah, I mean, was it early in March when they pretty much stopped all schools? You know, this is when the COVID first kind of came to light. And, you know, I was working in our local hospital. I, I live in Florida and, you know, we're preparing right? We're ready for this rush and the wave, I guess they would call it. And so the wave kept getting pushed back and then another week it would get pushed back. And this, in the meantime, we're watching, you know, New York just be completely hit. And we're like, what is going on? You know, why is New York being hit so hard? And, and we're sitting here, you know, just kind of twiddling our thumbs standing by. So, um, Ultimately, I was presented with the opportunity to travel um, into New York to work as a travel nurse. And I contacted my directors, my boss, and I'm like, listen, would it be okay if I stepped away 
and I went in and went and helped for a while and they're like, are you sure? <laughs> you know, cause like not everybody jumps at the opportunity to, to essentially go into this, you know, the epicenter of people dying left and right. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to do this. You know, I've, I've, I've been to war, I've been to Iraq, like it can't get any worse, you know? Mm -hmm. So in two days, I packed my bags, kissed my kids and my family goodbye, and I was on a plane to New York. Yeah. Wow. So you show up at Elmhurst Hospital. Uh, what what was the what was the scene? What did it look like? Um. Actually, I didn't really show up to Elmhurst Hospital when I first got there. So I got off the plane, and you know, essentially going into a pandemic slash war zone. Um, like they were calling it, um, it wasn't anything like that. I took a taxi to a four-star hotel at Marriott Marquis, checked in, and I ended up sitting around for three days waiting to, to work. Yeah. Um, Wasn't there like 800 nurses at that Marriott? And did you guys like start like a page? Is that, were you in the same one the rest of them were in? Yeah. So like your own little Facebook group and you guys were talking like, yeah, we're getting paid like an insane amount of money too. Like three times, how much was it? It was like, it was this, I heard this one nurse, so it was like a ridiculous amount of money just to sit around and. $10,000 a week. Mm -hmm. uh, mind you, we were working 84 hours a week too. So I yeah. mean, it was about $95 an hour for the first 40 hours. And then you got time and a half after that. So okay. we, we, we did work for it, but not when we're sitting around, but yeah, maybe 800 nurses at the Marriott Marquis, but they also kept, you know, there, there was probably a good five to 6,000 nurses there. Um, at that time. And the thing was with that is like, I sat around for three days, but the nurses ahead of me, they were sitting for 18, 25 days with nothing to do. Now, mind you, this entire time we're watching patients die in New York, dropping like flies left and right. Mm -hmm. So that was my first red flag when I got there and looking around, like, listen, if this is a war zone, put me in the game coach, <laughs> let right. me go my job. Let me help. I'll do anything. I'll give patients baths. I'll turn them. I'll do anything. And, and that just wasn't the case. Um, eventually I did get my assignment and I, I was assigned to Elmhurst hospital, which was essentially, you know, everyone saw that hospital in the news, Queens, New York, you know, like mm -hmm. where everything was happening all these, the, you saw the freezer trucks and yeah. it took me a shift which was a 12 hour shift to realize that what was happening was just absolute chaos and not because we didn't have enough staff. There was enough staff. It was just that nobody cared. Like nobody cared. They just saw these patients as well, they're going to die anyway. So it is what it is. And that was hard. You know, that, that was hard to, to, realize like this is how patients are dying because there's just lack of this compassion and 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 just carelessness in the treatments yeah and putting everybody on ventilators and refusing to to try alternative treatments that we knew were successful at least i knew that were successful from treating patients in florida so Let's talk about that. Like what treatments were they, what were they doing? Did people come in? Um, and what was the average like age of these folks that was coming in? Um, it, it didn't matter anybody. 
I mean, honestly, they would take anybody that walked in the door. So essentially, if you walked in the door in the emergency room, you were just treated as a COVID patient and age didn't matter. It was so wait a minute, you, you, you could have walked in for anything and they just treated you like a COVID patient? For the majority, yes. And that, that was a huge um, difference between how we did things at my hospital in Florida versus when we <laughs> got to New York is, you know, we would treat patients and rule out other, you know, as the, we treat them as an individual. Mm-hmm. The very first thing that we did in Florida was treat them, like test them for the flu. Like let's rule out the flu first and then we'll test them for COVID. That was our process. Um, and then are they suffering from anything else? Like I said in my video, a lot of patients were coming in with anxiety. Look what the media is doing to people to this day. There, I mean, people are, are anxious. No, they're yeah. freaking out. They're freaking they're, out. Yeah. They're absolutely freaking out. My parents is an example. Like I went to Arizona and I came back and I was going to go, I was scheduled to go see them that weekend. And my dad's like, you can't come down. You, you need quarantine for 14 days. So it's just like, he's reverberating what was on mainstream media. Right. Yeah. Um, I went into a grocery store and I don't wear masks. So this one guy, he goes, oh, he's just screaming and yelling. He's like, unbelievable, unbelievable. And he went up to the checker and he's like, how could your business like not let somebody, let somebody with no mask. And then he walks outside to this like teenage girl that's like cleaning the shopping carts that works there. And he's like, unbelievable. And he's like, how could you do this? And like, and it, come on and grabbed his wife. And his wife was just like scared, like looked like he was just like, just kind of a mean person anyway, but I mean, that much fear, like he literally thinks that I'm like, I do it. If your mask works so well, then you're safe. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, it doesn't make any sense to me, but okay. So what testing were they doing at Elmhurst? How, how did they go about the testing? Cause that's very important to know. Um, I mean, they skipped over the rapid tests. So at that point I got there like early mid April. So mm-hmm. it was still pretty bad. Um, not the height of it, but a, bad enough but also we were into it enough where we did have the rapid test that's what i mean we we utilized those in florida um they and those take like 45 minutes right 45 minutes at the time i think there's quicker ones now i don't think they're all that accurate but that's mm-hmm. another topic um but they would test these patients that came into the emergency room like your grocery store guy yeah. anxious like oh my gosh you know i can't breathe and i i don't know what's going on you know COVID test. All right. COVID rule out. Right. So they, they test him, send his test results out five to 10 days. And then while he's waiting for this, they're going to admit him to a COVID floor with actual COVID positive patients. So he may have his own room. If he's lucky on a COVID floor, most likely he's going to be stuck with another patient in the same room with COVID waiting his results. In the meantime, you know, you're talking a week, a good week, at least. Yeah. And usually they'd end up on a ventilator before their test results came back. So this, this doesn't even make, it makes, it's completely, this is probably freaking you out at this point in time. Cause you're like, wait, why would you put them on a five to seven day test and then throw somebody you don't know what they have onto a floor with COVID patients. They should have a COVID floor and a non COVID floor. I mean, that kind of makes sense, especially when all the media, all the, not all the politicians, but most of the politicians and, you know, everybody that's out there, the medical professionals, a lot of them are saying we need to quarantine our governors, every quarantine, stay home. Don't talk to anybody yet. 
you come in and you're not sure what's wrong with you and you throw you right in to the same room as somebody that already has COVID. Yet with through contract tracing, they want to come to your house and if somebody has it, they want to snatch that person out of the house and take them out of the house because it could put the other people at risk. This is the stuff that to me is like, it's such, such blatant, um, these are just blatant lies um, and, and all this fear mongering. It has, it has one agenda, I believe, and that's to vaccine everybody. So, all right, so you got a 45 minute test, they're not using it and they probably used the, um, uh, the excuse of not having enough money because those tests are more money or something. I don't know. Well, did they give you an excuse or a reason? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of reverse a little bit. So that very first day I saw this happening mm -hmm. and I thought like the initial treatment was a ventilator knowing that ventilators at that point were the wrong treatment. I mean, they knew that, you know, Dr. Cameron Kyle came out in towards the end of March saying, listen, you know, ICU doctor, ER doctor, this is the wrong treatment ignored, ignored, ignored. And when I got home or to back to my hotel that very first night after my shift, I had just sobbed. And I could only think of one thing and that's just, just call my nurse friends up that I knew. And I'm like, you guys, can we just get on a Zoom call? I just need to talk to you. <laughs> and right. I, I spilled it. I'm like, you guys, this is what's happening. And one of my friends, um, who a lot of people may have seen her, she's a nurse practitioner, her name's Sarah, um, her, that video, you know, she's like, listen, I have a friend in New York. Um, this is, she said, this is what's happening and no one believed her. And on top of it, she got a lot of death threats. She got a lot of pushback. She had to like, you know, lock down her profile. She had to worry about her kids. And at that point, when I saw this happening, it was about three days later, I called an attorney that I knew in, in New York and I let him know mm. everything. And I'm like, listen, no one's going to believe what is happening here. And I don't know what to do, but I don't want to be a part of this. And people need to know the truth. And so that's when we decided at that point, after trying to talk to my higher ups that, you know, they would just tell you to just be quiet don't you dare say anything or you're going to get fired, which they fired a lot of people ahead of me because of this. Mm -hmm. And um, so we ended up getting some spy glasses. He, he dropped them off at my hotel and, and that was it. Then I, I was going to, I was going to show the world what was really happening. And um, hopefully, hopefully um, it, it saved a lot of lives in the process and, and it stops this, from repeating itself with this supposed second wave that's going to be coming. Yeah. Okay. So I really want to get into that undercover work that you did, which is really cool to expose this. But um, before we do that, so we have to, I have to, you know, the doctors and the nurses that are working there, I always say these are the good boys and girls in the equation for most part, right? They're just doing what they're told to do because if they don't, they could lose their job and they have mortgages and payments and kids and you know, it's a lot of, a lot of responsibility, but there's this moral thing that keeps coming up and it looks like a few of you just said, I, the moral thing's stronger than me making my mortgage payment. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. So what was this? And, and here's the thing is like in the beginning, there was a lot of confusion around COVID and the doctors and nurses were doing what they were told, but we very quickly found out that resp respirators didn't work. So in the beginning, we were doing this because we thought that would work, but then it found out that it didn't. And now it's just getting that information disseminated. So what was the treatment for COVID-19 at Elmhurst? And did you ever see it change? Was it just like, oh, you've got it in ventilator or did they put them on fentanyl or what, what, what were they doing? 
Um, the go-to treatment was um, ventilators. And that was one of the conversations that I recorded was a doctor. This was early on when I got there. I'm like, listen, like the ventilators aren't working. And he agreed. He's like, yeah, a hundred percent of our patients have died. We've, we haven't had one successful um, excavation since the beginning. Yeah. Um, but nothing else works. So we're not going to try it. And so we suggested huh. the what's worse than death. I mean, what? That's exactly what we were saying. I'm like, what about the hydroxychloroquine zinc that was working at my hospital successfully, 100% success rate by the time I got to New York at my hospital using that early treatment? Um, what about the high dose IV vitamin C? Dr. Chang, you know, US board certified physician has been using in Asia. They also used it in some hospitals in New York. You know, a, a lot of ozone therapy. What about these? They're not proven. I'm like, listen, what is the harm in trying this? But they couldn't because the governor banned the hydroxychloroquine. He banned any alternative treatments. So the yeah, only Cuomo. thing they had to do was, uh, yeah, Cuomo, um, was ventilators. And my whole thing with that is, mm. how, did, how did Cuomo know that they needed 30,000 ventilators in March, early March? And then also, if he knew that he needed these 30,000 ventilators, why didn't he make sure that he had the people to run these ventilators? It's like ordering 30,000 cars and then asking 12 year olds to drive them around. It's, yeah. it's going to be a disaster. And that's exactly what happened. So it wasn't just that the ventilators were, would kill people because the lungs were filled with fluids and it was just simple physics at that point. It was also that operators weren't even, Nobody was, most people weren't qualified to even know how to use them properly in the first place yet. That was the go-to. And, um, no, and yeah. that's, that, that's really, that's really sad. But you know what he did do, uh, we have to give him credit is he took like what, 3,500 COVID positive patients and he shipped them off to nursing homes. So that was a really good move on his part. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what's he thinking? You know, I was actually in New York last week. I spoke out at the Albany Capitol. It was like, almost got to go. And you know, I didn't expect to be, it, it was very eerie to be there because first I'm in, I felt like I was in like the lion's den, you know, like he's, he's in court right now and they're questioning him and he's, you know, kicking out witnesses, you know, like he obviously knows what he did was wrong and doesn't want to take any accountability for it. And now at this point, he's blaming the staff in these nursing homes for being the cause of this problem. You know, um, it, it's just, when does it end? And, and how many people do we have to lose in the process in order to create some sort of, I don't know, a federal investigation to hold these people accountable at that point. I think that's the only, our only hope right now, because there's just so much corruption in this entire system and throughout this entire pandemic, like there's so many people being lied to that they don't even, people are, that's why they're so terrified. They don't know lies from the truth and they don't know if they should worry or they should, you know, like it's not fair. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we get back, I want to get into um, uh, some more about personal protection equipment. I know you're an expert on that and, and some other stuff. And a, and a really good, um, uh, one of the stories that you shared with me before that actually really sparked your, um, you know, uh, 
it was just, it really sparked you to go see that lawyer and, and to go undercover. So we'll be right back with nurse Aaron Olszewski. When I wake up in the morning, I ask myself, how am I going to nourish myself today? That's where Green 85 has made that an easy task. Packed full with nutrient-dense quality ingredients, it ensures me that I'm starting my day off right. Green 85. To get this product and our other amazing products, go to chemicalfreebody.com. That's chemicalfreebody.com. health heroes we're back welcome back with i'm with nurse aaron marie olszewski we're chopping it up about covid at the elmhurst hospital where she was uh i guess you deployed yourself to that place yeah <laughs> and it was we're glad we're glad you did so i wanted to talk about ppes or personal protection equipment so how is it supposed to work and then what was going on at elmhurst um all right. So, uh, do we want to talk about the mask situation, or yeah, um, all of all of it? Anything with you know masks, you know, how they were cleaning things up, what what they weren't cleaning, you know, okay. your garments, the you know the the cleaning yeah. rooms you're supposed to pass through, you know, how's it supposed to go on? And then like what really happened? Because you were yeah. you you worked in where you had to do that, right? And when you're in Iraq, yeah. I mean, okay, in the COVID type of situation in New York, mm -hmm. uh, cleaning staff, you know, usually you have the cleaning staff come through. Um, they were non-existent. So if we had a patient die, which every single one of my patients died, every mm -hmm. single one of them, I've never put more people in body bags in my life unnecessarily. And it's still hard, you know, it's still like kind of a, I'm still trying to like, get through that, you know? So, um, the staff wouldn't come through and clean the rooms, you know, we would just have to just clean them up the best we can and not, not five minutes later, you know, another patient is coming in and they're going to be intubated on the same ventilator that the person that just died off of it. Like they didn't let those ventilators rust. And then as far as PPE, I mean, I never had an issue with having enough PPE. It was just a matter of, they weren't changing their, you know, they, the protocol for PPE, you know, especially with a virus that this, if, if it is in fact so contagious, you know, mm -hmm. that there should be a dirty nurse on the inside of a room and a clean nurse on the outside. That's just how they did it with Ebola. That's how they've done it with a lot of different things. I'm sure a lot of people have seen, you know, the big spacesuit looking things, you know, right, right, right. and it just wasn't like that. And nurses were in and out of patients, you know, COVID positive patients rooms using the same PPE, not switching it up. It just, like I said, like the whole environment there was, it was, first of all, it, the executive order that Cuomo made in, back in March, you know, it removed all liability, all liability. So nobody could get in trouble for anything that went wrong. So nothing good comes out of a liability free environment. On top of it, they don't have their families in the rooms. Families we're, weren't allowed, them. right? Yeah, they're not allowed. Mm. So if you get stuck, it, it, you know, your, your whole fate depends on what kind of nurse nurse or what kind of doctor that you have 
So, and, and they switch. Maybe you have a really good nurse on day shift, but the night shift nurse is just not so much, you know? So, it, but you have to remember all these people are on ventilators, so they can't really speak for themselves. You're at the hands of whoever's taking care of you and you don't even know it. It's terrifying. And then on top of it, you know, you're really not getting any treatment. You're getting sedatives and paralytics. And a lot of these patients didn't even have COVID to begin with, but they're in the same room as a COVID positive patient with the same nurse. So you know, what, what, can you explain that really quick to the layperson what these sedatives are and paralytics? Because a lot of people, when you say paralytics, it's like, you know, Snoopy, like the teacher, like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> we don't yeah. know. And the peanuts. <laughs> Well, the paralytics paralyze you. So with a paralytic, it, you, you're paralyzed, but you can still think and you can still hear things and see things. And then the sedatives put you to sleep. So you can't think and hear those things. So it's a, it's a very delicate balance. Some of the patients may have been paralyzed, but not sedated enough where they knew what was going on. Um, because at the end of the day, the, the residents who had just graduated, you know, from book school mm -hmm. were running the, the clinical practice, I guess you could say. Very, very few of them actually had hands-on experience, and that's kind of what residents do. You know, they're, they're there to learn, um, usually under the direction of uh, a, a, an actual physician that's been trained and understands those were few and far between. Most of the time it was just residents there. And so they didn't always know the correct dose in that. So it, it was very dangerous for these patients. So why um, would they put somebody with COVID or not COVID on a paralytic and sedatives? What's the purpose? They were ventilated for precautionary reasons sometimes. I mean, there was multiple different reasons. There was a lot of patients that never had to be put on ventilators in the first place. The whole thing was this money incentive. So now you have a liability-free environment, and then you have incentive, $13,000 to admit a patient, COVID or COVID rule-out. The COVID rule-out patients were the patients awaiting their results. Remember the five to 10 days? Mm -hmm. So they got money for admitting them. And then to put them on a ventilator, another $30,000, $39,000 paycheck. Yeah. So they could have, instead of packing all these patients into this hospital and everybody being essentially uh, an assembly line to a body bag, they could have utilized the comfort ship. They could have used the Javits, you know, sensor, uh, Samaritans first. They didn't use any of, any of their resources. And, and they just wanted to, you know, essentially admit them and get paid and, and profit was put over people. And at this point, learning more now, uh, politics were put over, over patients as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's really disheartening. I mean, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing <laughs> from, from your story and that undercover stuff. Okay. So can you talk to us about, there was this one story, there was this young man that came in, he was 37 years old, had some respiratory distress and he, he, I don't know, he, he wasn't COVID positive when he came in, right? Um, there's, there's mixed messages on that. Um, from what I've been told, no, he came in with a lot of anxiety. You know, he had been having some respiratory issues. 
Mm-hmm. Go back to Florida. I had the same type of patient coming in through the emergency room, terrified. The media is making them terrified. You know, the, the first sign of a cough, they think that they're right. going to have COVID and they're just terrified, you know, terrified. Yeah. And so they get so, a cold or flu and they freak out. Yeah. And people are terrified of, of germs now. And that's, that's very scary. Um, it has moving forward, you know, there's germs all around us. It's a very scary thing for people to fear. And, um, but going, moving back, um, yeah, he came in with those similar symptoms and it was just the protocol. Anyone that comes in with anything respiratory, you must have COVID. So up to the floor, he went, and intermingling with COVID positive patients, awaiting his results. Um, anxiety set in again. Remember, he doesn't have any family in the room. Um, every, every single nurse, doctor, we all look the same. Everybody's just covered head to toe in PPE. We all yeah. look the same. It's terrifying wearing goggles and masks and all the coverings and you're terrified on top of it, which makes it worse. And um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work handling a patient that has anxiety on a good day before a pandemic kind of day. Mm-hmm. And so the easiest way for a lot of these doctors um, was just to just put them on a ventilator because then they're easier to handle. Sedate them. Yeah. So with him, he didn't want to go on a ventilator and they essentially kind of bribed him, which, which they told a lot of patients that, listen, if you don't go on a ventilator, you're going to die. So pick one, knowing that ventilators were killing 100% of our patients and not using any alternative treatments. So he he had one choice. Um, If he would have known better, and that's why I'm speaking out so much, and that's why I wrote a book so I can like warn the world that, listen, it doesn't have to be that way. Don't let them take advantage of you is because had he said no and not signed that consent out of fear, he would be here today. But he didn't know any better and he signed it, put him on a ventilator. They kept him on the ventilator for over a month. And these residents were putting different lines in him and experimenting and cutting through, like cutting him, you know, like it was, it was just appalling to know. Like, Things that he didn't have to go through, he went through, but because he didn't have a, a way to speak for himself and the families weren't allowed in, they didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. So ultimately he ended up dying. Um, and I recorded this. This is one of the things I have recorded is he was a full code, which means his family and he signed that he wanted to be saved and resuscitated at all costs. I got on shift one, one evening I was working a night shift and I was told that if he tries, you know, if he, if he needs to be resuscitated, we're, we're not to do that. And that is gross negligence. And that is the fine, small print in that liability free environment that is not covered. And these doctors ordered us nurses not to resuscitate him knowing it was a full code that's illegal. The family clearly stated that day that they wanted us to do everything they could and they had the opportunity to have a two physician sign consent that says that he should be DNR and they refused to do that as well. And ultimately what happened is it was us nurses fighting the doctors over him dying 
and he died. He died with us fighting over his body. And that is really hard to live with. And that is what really like, that's why I'm a big portion of the reason that I'm so outspoken about this because everybody deserves to live and everybody deserves to be treated with the humility and ethics that our healthcare industry should always put first before anything else, you know, and, and that didn't happen. Even with ner multiple nurses, you know, fighting these, these doctors, but what do you do? You know, I, it, it's just a really bad situation, but you know what? It happened all the time. I, must I have, have been Go ahead. I have multiple instances of this happening. And since I've come out, more nurses have sent me their recordings. So it's, this isn't just one hospital. This was all over the place, especially at low income, mm -hmm. um, you know, minority type of hospitals that, you know, treated people that they, they felt in my opinion were disposable human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And especially from your background coming from Florida, when they were using successfully hydroxychloroquine and zinc to treat people and you come up and they're not allowed to do that. And then on top of it, you've got people that were not COVID positive that are getting sedated and paralyzed basically so they could be intubated. And then, you know, what happened to this guy? Did you see his death certificate? Was he listed as a COVID death? Mm -hmm. He was. So $39,000 to the hospital. They also wrote that um, they tried resuscitative measures when that was a lie. Mm. So they lied a lot. They lied a lot about a lot of different things. Now you said that 100% of the people that were innovated died, but that's not the case because you said there was one guy that made it. Let's talk about yeah. that guy. Yeah, by the time, well, when I recorded that one doctor, every 100% had died mm -hmm. at that point. Okay. So I'll let you off the hook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but when I, when I interviewed that doctor, that, that's the recording that I had at the time I got there. But there was one patient, yeah, that um, he did pull his own tube out. And he's like, uh, prodigy <laughs> you know like this guy shouldn't have been intubated he did not have covid you know he had a, a you know hyperglycemia which is high blood sugar essentially mm -hmm. which was, it, was he overweight yeah. no no it, it came from see what they what they used a lot was held which is like an you know it's a what it does is they treat a lot of psych patients with Haldol. It just pretty much puts them out. It's a sedative in a, in okay. a sense, um, but they abuse that. And that also can increase your blood sugar. And that's what they did. They just overused it with him. And it, he, a lot of patients are overtreated on a good day. Mm. I mean, really, but you put them in a COVID situation in a hospital like this. And um, so they, they gave him a lot of different drugs and uh, his blood sugar shot up and they admitted into this COVID ICU unit, which was the one I was in. And we all were like, what is he doing here? He's fine. He just needed to get his blood sugar under control. And that usually causes altered mental status. So of course he's acting kind of irrational. And um, the doctor just said, listen, if you don't start behaving, we're gonna put, you know, give you a little help to breathe. And I'm like, listen, you're not you don't, gonna, if you don't behave, we're going to give you help to breathe. Yeah, it was, it was if you don't calm down or, you know, something along those lines. And I was standing there holding his hand trying to like, you know, 
people need people and they were mm -hmm. stuck in these rooms by themselves because everyone was terrified to go in there and talk to them or touch them or be around them and i just wasn't after a while i'm like you know what these people deserve good care they deserve a good nurse they deserve someone to be there for them because the families aren't allowed in here mm -hmm. and you know just to take that extra time and yeah i i fought her about that this was the same doctor that decided not to code the full code and let him die and I left that that day and I came back and he was on a ventilator. But long story short, he had been a drug user. So his tolerance to these sedatives and paralytics just weren't, you know, it didn't uh, touch that man. So he ended up pulling out his own tube. He's the only one that like saved, he saved himself, you know, essentially he saved himself. And I didn't have the heart to tell him that, listen, man, like, we didn't we didn't do it you know because he was giving us credit for saving his life and like he saved your own life yeah. kind of reminds me of that steven seagal movie it was hard to kill or whatever he's he's been in a coma forever and then he kind of wakes up and he knows they're coming yeah. to get him he's ripping the shit out saving himself before they come and get him but the sad thing was is that it was the it was the procedures at the hospital that was actually um that could have killed him it, it's like a movie though this is a movie i mean it, it really is. I mean, just his story alone could be a sci-fi. Like, it, you just, like, that's why I was like, I literally felt like I was in the Twilight Zone the entire time I'm here. I'm like, this can't be the United States. Like, this can't, this, this can't be the United, this isn't how we do it, you know, but it, but it was, and, and that's exactly how it was happening. And I just, I just felt like, if I sat by and said nothing, then I would become part of the problem. So right, right. I'd do it over again. Well, we're glad you did. And when we get back from this next break, we'll, we'll wrap up with you. Um, appreciate your time and um, we'll be right back. Hey, this is Pat Militares, former UFC champion and UFC Hall of Famer. My life is hectic. I did a show, finished at midnight in Minnesota, drove four hours north to Fargo, North Dakota this weekend. Three hours later, ran a marathon, taught a seminar that afternoon, got up the next day, ran a little bit more to loosen my legs up, taught another seminar, and then drove home last night for eight and a half hours. Got back home at, at two something in the morning. This stuff is what's saving me right now, and it's keeping me going. So imagine what it can do for you, just a nine to fiver. To get this product and our other amazing products, go to chemicalfreebody.com. That's chemicalfreebody.com. Do you need to get a drink of water? I'm good, yeah. Okay. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here. We're back with Nurse Erin Marie Olszewski. Um, Wow, you've covered a lot of stuff. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I was trying to think, um, the last thing I wanted to cover was we touched upon it earlier, which was all these other nurses. So since you, it, it's kind of like that thing when, you know, the music's playing and like an outdoor party or something like that. And everybody wants to go dancing. They want to grab the girl's hand. The guy's, oh, I really like to dance with him, but nobody's, they're all scared. They don't want to do it. And then all of a sudden one person goes out and they start just, you know, everybody, oh, he's making a fool of himself. But then somebody else like, I'm doing it too. And then the second, and then boom, 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 boom. And then before too long, everybody's out there having a good time. It's that, you know, we're, we're 
we're we're kind of scared to to step outside the norms and but that's where people really want to be right and um so we don't want to be boring but what you did is you stepped out in 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 out of the norm and out of what you're supposed to do and spoke out and you risked your job and you risked you know death threats and all these other things and people coming down on you because you're going to be hit by the you know the the mainstream media and all this stuff on this there's no question about it and you knew this coming out so you spoke out and what's happening now how many other doctors and nurses are speaking out because of what you've done and then um what are some other stories if you have any that's you know that really stick out um I don't necessarily want to feel like I'm the one responsible for everyone speaking out because there were nurses before me, you know, um, sure. and Dr. Cameron Kyle Siddell, but listen, it just takes one person, like you said, you know, to get the party started and to be a catalyst for change. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I'm just one person. Yeah. Well, you know, so am I, and so are you, you know, it, we, we, if you know that something is wrong as a human being, in my opinion, as American, it is your obligation to say mm -hmm. something. Absolutely. And if, and if you don't want to be forced to do something, and this is just anyone, I mean, this is a mask situation. This is sending your kids to school, like, you know, terrified of them, you know, living this new normal, um, say something get involved, call your senators, get on the school board, uh, contact me, contact you. You know, it, it's going to take all of us to really create this movement of people that love our country, respect the fact that we do have a constitution, human life matters, politics over people should never exist you know, profit over people should never exist. I don't think the government should ever be involved in a doctor patient relationship or healthcare. And, you know, just taking back control of, of what we stand for mm -hmm. in the United States. You know, I, yeah. I, I fought for this country and, and, and I will continue to fight for this country and, and to make sure that our children and our children's children have a future that is safe and secure for them that they don't have to fight in. Yeah. You just reminded me of that. There's a quote by Edmund Burke. It says, all that is required for evil to triumph is for good men and women uh, to do nothing. Yeah. Okay. To do nothing. So just sit back and do nothing. And you decided not to do that because you didn't, you wanted to do what's right. And that's, uh, that's commendable. Well, that's awesome. Well, is there any last words that, of anything that you would just, anything that you'd like to share with, I mean, you kind of wrapped it up there, but is there anything else you'd like to share with people that are, you know, that are in fear mode or dealing with COVID that you, you could put them at ease or how they should approach going to a hospital, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. Any, any words of advice from the insider's point of view? Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's, it sh you should never fear just standing up for yourself. Um, I guess heading into a hospital, never sign those electronic keypads. That's a really big deal because ask for them to be printed out so you know exactly what you're signing because a lot of stuff in there is very hidden that they don't tell you about. One of them sometimes is a consent to put you on a ventilator. Sometimes it's organ donation, you know, a lot of those things. So that, that's mm -hmm. a very big thing. I've been a huge advocate about that for some time. And then um, always bring an, a, a, an advocate with you everywhere you go. 
get a family member, get a friend, call me up, you know, like, um, and, and honestly, just don't be afraid. And if you know something's wrong, then, then say something. And mm -hmm. if, if they don't like it, then it's okay. You know, somebody else will. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you being on and I hope that you guys listening today will be inspired uh, by Aaron's story and what she's done and how she's come out and mean going undercover and getting videos and, and then taking the time to write a book, which isn't, which isn't easy. So the best thing that you guys could do is take this message and share it. You know, you can join the armed forces right now, right from your laptop or right from your phone, wherever you're at listening to this and just start sharing and getting this information out there because that's that ripple effect take Aaron, what she's done, what she, you were inspired by somebody else and your own moral compass. And then that just keeps perpetuating. You've affected me. I wanted to get you on the show. Now I'm going to tell everybody about it and your story. And, and then those people are going to tell people. And, and that's how we really get around mainstream news. We create our own news um, just by um, word of mouth and sharing. And with social media, we can do that very quickly and with text messages and emails. I mean, guys do whatever you can to get this message out to people. Cause again, like Edmund Burke said, all that is required for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do zip, to do nothing. And you don't want to be that person. Like step up, help everybody else out. We need you. We need you to share this message. So um, Aaron, it's been, a, it's been an honor and a privilege. Um, um, and how do people follow you? What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, I created kind of a, a website that I hope it's under construction right now, but it's called nurseerinwellness.com. Mm -hmm. And um, also there's information in my book, um, The Undercover Epicenter Nurse. You can pretty much find it, Amazon, Target, Walmart. Oh, it's for sale right now, right? Yeah. So it comes out in one week. So In one week. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm going to hook you up with my book lady. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. she can help you get it out more. Um, so yeah, guys. So to follow her, uh, it's Nurse Erin, E-R-I-N, Wellness dot com nurse Aaron erin wellness.com and i think you have a little opt-in form so that you, when the website's ready then you know people that want to get that information can get in there now and kind of get in the queue and then when the website's ready you'll send them an email and say hey it's up and then they can go check everything out right yeah everything's happened really fast so i didn't you know i didn't expect it but you know mm -hmm. let's let's change healthcare and yeah. get more uh health uh, ethical way of doing things mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And stand up for your rights. Um, it's all about protecting your medical freedoms, getting the government out of your relationship with your doctor. And that should be a private relationship and you should be able to do what you want and with your doctor. And I think that's important. And guys, don't forget to pick up her book, Undercover Epicenter Nurse, How Fraud, Negligence, and Greed Led to the Unnecessary Deaths, unfortunately, at Elmhurst Hospital. So check that out. All right. Well, that's it. Um, appreciate you guys. I want to tell you also, um, we had some new peeps um, from all over the place. We've had uh, some new listeners from Costa Rica, Ecuador, uh, Denmark, Germany, Slovenia, Greece, Turkey, Saudi Arabia. I know we got a pretty big following over there, which is pretty cool. United Arab Emirates. We got some new people from Japan. Welcome, welcome. Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand. Um, we really appreciate your listeners and you guys sharing the platform, giving us reviews. And again, when you find something like this and you feel motivated and obligated to share this, even if you're not in the United States, this affects all of us. Okay. This is worldwide. So we want to get this information out because I know that Aaron is not an isolated case. There are hundreds, if not thousands of nurses that feel and believe like she does. And the more we can get this out, 
this could be handed off to maybe your brother. And then he gives it to his, to his, um, you know, mother-in-law and her daughter's a nurse. And then she steps up and steps out and then she can help get the information out too. And then that's how we create that ripple effect. So guys, thanks so much for tuning in and remember change yourself, change your world. And we'll see you again on the next episode. listening again to the health hero show i'm your host tim james and remember change yourself change your world and we'll see you again on the next episode talk to you soon you have just listened to the health hero show with tim james (laughs) 